I'm not going to read very fast today because I think we have a message to absorb. Let's start with Psalm 119. Would you stand, please? And in verse 30, it says, I have chosen the way of truth. I have set my heart on your laws. Put on that attitude for just a minute, will you? Now, in chapter, in John, chapter 13, excuse me, 14, at the beginning, here we go. Jesus comforts his disciples. He's letting them know his challenge is coming. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. A new section here. Jesus, the way to the Father. Because Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. The word of the Lord. Mm. Thank you. Thank you, Gail. I have to comment. Um, we sang Blessed Assurance this morning. Um, whenever my dad was in the shower, strains of hymns filled the house. He sang in the shower. Um, that was one of his... It's kind of been one of those things, you know, that words are meaningful, but it's kind of nostalgic because it's one of the songs that Dad sang in the shower. And my dad, um, he wouldn't have, didn't have a bad voice, um, but I don't think he would have ever been called on to sing specials in church either. But anyway, I just appreciated that this morning. And um, This series we're in, Lies in Truth's Clothing. Yeah. Um, it has to do not uh, has to do with a lot of things that we hear um, espoused in our world as truth that are actually lies. Some of those are things, though, that are just even misunderstandings, uh, deceptions that have entered the body of Christ. And I just want you to know we'll be looking at a number of those things today. Um, we're looking at this. There are many ways to God. Um, I think the passage we read makes it pretty clear, but we're going to spend some time on that. See, in our, in our society, in our culture, 
Um, there is an e- increasing opposition, and even, I'm sorry to say, among some Christians, to what appears to be intolerant and exclusive claims by Jesus Christ, or the church, or Scripture. It, it's, some, it's provoked some people to respond this way. Christians are arrogant to think that Jesus is the only way. That somehow they have a, a, a corner of the market on God. Perhaps you've heard, don't all religions basically teach the same thing anyway if you boil them down? And it, I mean, be good, love others. Be good, what's that mean? <laughs> Be good, love others, live peacefully, and resist evil. It shouldn't matter if you're a Christian or Jew or Muslim or Hindu or Buddhist or whatever, because if you pulled out all the basic teachings of these religions, you would end up with the same basic ingredients. It's kind of like a lot of Italian dishes. They're all prepared differently. Lasagna, spaghetti, ravioli, manicotti, pizza, but they basically contain the same ingredients. Therefore, aren't these religions just taking different roads, going up the same mountain to God, so that the important thing is to be faithful to whatever you believe or practice? Oh, that sounds pretty good. A, a survey says... That There's a survey that was taken, and it says that 70% of Americans believe that many religions can lead to eternal life. In other words, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe it. So, are there many pathways to God? Is Jesus just one of many doors into the presence of God? Is Jesus optional? Dear brothers and sisters who belong to God and are partners with those called to heaven, think carefully about this Jesus, whom we declare to be God's messenger and high priest. That's Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. Jesus is unique. And this is highlighted in the ministry of the well-known missionary to India, Dr. E. Stanley Jones. Jones often lectured to Hindu audiences, having Hindus as the chairman of the meeting. On one such occasion, the chairman was a chief minister of state. During his introduction, he said, I shall reserve my remarks for the close of the address, for no matter what the speaker says, I will find parallel things in our own sacred books. At the close of the meeting, he was at a loss for words. Dr. Jones had not presented things. He had presented a person, Jesus Christ. And that person was not found in their sacred books. As someone has put it, Christ is the crisis of all religion. An unknown author has said, I sometimes like to ask skeptics of the Christ story, what percentage of the knowledge available in the world that they have? Do you think you know even 1% of all there is to be known in the universe? 
Invariably, they reply, they don't know even 1%. Then I'll ask, is it possible that in the 99% of the knowledge you don't have, that there might be room for something outside your realm of understanding and experience? It's an opportunity then to point them to Jesus. So let's talk this morning, first of all, about the claims that Jesus made about himself. And first of all, he claimed to be the ultimate judge of mankind. Now, you're going to get a ton of scripture today because when we want to know the truth, we look to scripture. John chapter 5, verses 25 through 27. And I assure you that the time is coming, indeed it is here now, when the dead will hear my voice, the voice of the Son of God. And those who listen will live. The Father has life in Himself and has granted that same life-giving power to His Son. And He has given Him the authority to judge everyone because He is the Son of Man. And the Son of Man is a messianic reference from the book of Daniel and would have been well known to the Jewish audience that Jesus was speaking to at that time. And here's that reference from Daniel. It's Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. And he writes, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples and nations and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Certainly uh, a messianic um, prophecy. It's referring to Jesus. And then in John chapter 5, verse 22, it says, Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. Acts 17.31 For He has set a day when He will judge the world with justice by the man He has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising that man from the dead. And he will execute judgment because he has the experiential understanding of what it means to be human, the Son of Man. He shares our nature and just, and as a result, because he is fully God and fully man, has the right to judge us. And then, he demanded devotion even above family. Matthew 10:37 If you love your father or mother more than you love me you are not worthy of being mine or if you love your son or daughter more than me you are not worthy of being mine why because he is god and worthy of our ultimate devo- devotion above all others including family 
And the choice is clear. The scripture is clear here. And that, that can be, be a heartbreaking thing for some. Having your family reject you because you've accepted Jesus as Lord of your life is not easy. Our allegiance and love as Christians is to Jesus Christ. But our love for family is given a new perspective as he becomes preeminent in our lives. And think about it. Muslims, sometimes Jews, maybe other religions out there, people who choose to follow Jesus are rejected by their families because they've made that choice. Sometimes they're even killed. Maybe some here today because you've chosen Jesus, have been rejected by your family. (laughs) You don't have to be Jewish or Muslim. Sometimes just because there is no belief in God, Jesus, the things of God, when you choose to follow Jesus, you're rejected by your family. You become the black sheep. And then he claimed to be the Messiah God. We see that even in the passage of Scripture that was read for us today. Jesus said, trust in God, trust also in me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Jesus is saying that. You have seen the Father. If you've seen me, you have seen the Father because I am God. Mark chapter 14. Verses 61 and 62. This is one of those encounters. And this time Jesus is standing before the high priest who asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. John chapter 18, verses 4 through 6. He's in the garden. His death is imminent. Jesus realized all that was going to happen to him, so he stepped forward to meet them. They've come now to arrest him. This is the temple guard. These are Jews. The temple guard are Jews. We need to understand that. Who are you looking for? He asked. Jesus the Nazarene, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. Jesus who betrayed them was standing with them. And as as Jesus said, I am he, They all drew back and fell to the ground. The passage in Mark, the passage in John, if you look, depends on the version of the Bible you look at, but those words, I am, are capitalized. Let me tell you why. Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. Moses is standing before the burning bush. God has commissioned him 
to go set the people of Egypt free, to lead them out of captivity. And Moses says, well, who do I tell them has sent me? And God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say to this people of Israel, I am, capital letters, I am has sent me to you. So when those Jewish temple guards came to arrest Jesus and he said, I am he, they knew. They knew what he was saying. Boom, it knocked him down. Certainly there were others in Jesus' time and since who have claimed to be the Messiah, claimed to be God, but Jesus is the only one whose life masked every prophecy concerning the coming Messiah. A number of years ago, Peter W. Stoner and Robert C. Newman wrote a book entitled Science Speaks. The book was based on the science of probability and vouched for by the American Scientific Affiliation. It set out the odds of any one man in history fulfilling even only eight, only eight of the 60 major prophecies fulfilled by the life of Jesus Christ. The probability that Jesus of Nazareth could have fulfilled even eight of the such prophecies, eight out of sixty, would be only one in ten to the seventeenth. That's one with seventeen zeros behind it. One, zero, 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 zero. Zero, 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 zero. Just lucky, I guess. Stoner claims that that many, one to the tenth, one in ten to the seventeenth silver dollars would be enough to cover the face of the entire state of Texas two feet deep. The author of this thing about this, these claims says, now I've been to Texas. I've driven for days to get across Texas. Texas is a very big state. Who in his right mind would suppose that a blindfolded man heading out of Dallas by foot in any direction would be able on his very first attempt to pick one specifically marked silver dollar out of 10 to the 17th silver dollars. But that's basically what we're talking about with Jesus fulfilling the just eight of the prophecies that Scripture makes about Him. About His coming, about His teaching, about His miracles, about His death and resurrection. We would say, what are the chances Another reason, another claim that Jesus made, he accepted worship. Matthew 14, 32 and 33. This is one of those occasions where the disciples were crossing the Sea of Galilee. The storm had come up. 
And it says, when they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the Son of God, they exclaimed. And Jesus said, oh, no, no, don't say that. No. He accepted that. Matthew 28, 16 and 17. Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some of them doubted. See, he accepted worship because he was worthy of worship. He is God. I've tried to put that in human terms. I don't know if I've shared this with you before. I, you know, because of my age and stuff, and you know, I, I I wrote a letter to the district office this week because I was supposed to submit a report for someone that I've been mentoring, and I sent the wrong report, and and um, I said, well, maybe it's you know, COVID brain fog or the onset of early dementia or something. I don't know, but. Anyway, try to wrap your mind around God. If, is that possible? I think there's some things about God that the Scripture makes clear. I think there's a lot of things about God that we won't really understand until we, we stand before Him. Um. So I've uh, I've kind of thought this. What are we, as human beings, compared to an amoeba? You know what amoeba is, okay? They kind of ooze their way around. They're single-celled little guys. We are not a step above amoebas. We are infinitely greater than amoebas. So it is that when we consi- so it is when we consider who we are in the light of God. He is infinitely greater. His Son is infinitely greater. You know, we, we've got this belief out there, um, and, and a lot of it comes with kind of this New Age thing, but I think there's some other religions out there that would be proponents of this that would say, well, really, we can become like God ourselves. We can become gods. <laughs> no, we can't. You know, we think that it's kind of like this. Here's human beings and here God, here's God. No. The difference is exponential, folks. It's exponential. And... So if an, an amoeba had the ability to communicate with us, would we be surprised? Might we not even expect that they would express their awe and amazement at who we were and what we were capable of? Wow! Now, I'm not saying that God looks at us like amoebas. I am saying that the difference between God and us is exponential and we should be in awe and amazement of who he is and what he is capable of. The psalmist writes, and we believe the scriptures are inspired by God, so the psalmist was inspired when he wrote this, that God breathed the stars out of his mouth. Have you ever read about 
the stars, the different suns out there. Do you know ours is minuscule compared to some? There would be thousands of our suns that could fit in some of the giant red stars. God breathed those out of his mouth, and he has named, the scripture says he calls them all by name. We don't even know how many there are. And Jesus is God. He instructed us to pray in his name. John 14.3 You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. And it also tells us that Jesus now sits at the right hand of the Father to intercede for us. So why would we go to the Father in the name of Jesus? Because there is power and authority in the name of Jesus. Remember how uh, I recited that one passage of Scripture where they get in the boat and the winds are calmed and the, and the, and the disciples were amazed. He, he, has even, he even has power over the weather, the wind and the waves. Jesus said, be still, and the wind stopped and the waves, boop, glass. There is power and authority in His name. And he claimed divine authority. Mark chapter 2, and this is a little lengthier passage, verses 5 through 12. Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of the religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, What is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, because he's God. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up. Pick up your mat and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, We have never seen anything like this before. Why? Because Jesus is God and he has that authority. And Jesus himself said in Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen, Jesus came and told, told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. That's why someday at the name of Jesus, every knee in heaven and on earth and underneath the earth and underneath the sea and wherever will bow before Jesus and give him glory because he is worthy. Someone has said Christianity is not primarily a theological system, an ethical system, a ritual system, a social, a social system, or an ecclesiastical system. It is a person. It is Jesus Christ. And to be a Christian is to know him and to follow him and believe him. So we need to get our facts straight. We, 
I've just listed a number of claims that Jesus makes about himself. So let's get our facts straight. Jesus is not one of many ways to God, but proclaims himself to be the only way. From our passage that Gail read for us today, Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Why do we have so much trouble with this truth? Well, it goes back to the root cause of sin itself. Rebellion against God. We're determined to do things our way. And so we're going to find another way. If God says Jesus is the way, then we say we'll we'll find another way. Frank Sinatra sang this song years ago, I did it my way. For what is man, what has he got? If not himself, then he has not. To say the things he truly feels and not the words of one who kneels, we would never do that. The record shows I took the blows and did it my way. Yes, it was my way. And you have the option to do it your way. We're not robots. That's why God made us what we call free moral agents. That's, we have the choice. But doing it your way will not take you where you want to go. Because there is only one way. And then Jesus is none other than God Himself. Colossians 15, excuse me, Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and 19 through 20. Paul is making his case for Christ here. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For God in all His fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through Him God reconciled everything to Himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Now, I must admit that I have a little trouble with this idea myself. Not believing it, but this, it's one of these things that makes God, God. How can an infinite God contain himself in the flesh of humanity? How did God do that? I, 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 under, I think I understand why he did it. But how he did it is a mystery, but it is true. And all who are saved will owe their salvation to Jesus Christ. John 10, verse 16, I have other sheep too. They are not of this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd. There was a missionary who lost his way in the African jungle. He couldn't find any landmarks and the trail vanished. Eventually, he stumbled upon a small hut. He asked the native gentleman living there if he could lead him out. The gentleman nodded. Rising to his feet, he walked directly into the bush 
The missionary followed close on his heels. For more than an hour, they hacked their way through a dense wall of vines and grasses. The missionary became worried. Are you sure this is the way? I don't see any path. The African gentleman chuckled and said over his shoulder, Buana, I am the path. Jesus said, I am the way. Peter said in Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. You cannot be saved by the name of Buddha, Muhammad, Confucius, Joseph Smith, your name, your parents' name, or any other name. But these claims anger people. They say Christians are narrow-minded for believing these claims. But remember what Jesus said. Straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to eternal life and few there be that find it. He said that he is the door to the sheepfold and if a man sought to come in any other way, they are thieves and robbers. That means that you cannot be saved by doing good works or by keeping the law. Paul said if righteousness could come by the law, then Christ died in vain. He also said, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. You cannot be saved by being religious. You cannot be saved by being sincere. You cannot buy your salvation. But like the hymn says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' way name because He is the only way. See, salvation is not about fairness, but about grace. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. You can't earn it, you can't buy it, you can't be good enough to deserve it. Salvation is by grace alone, and God loves to extend grace to us. Jesus came to this earth not to exclude anyone but to offer salvation to all who would believe. Again, I made reference to this passage earlier, Philippians chapter 2. This is verses 6 to 11, speaking of Jesus, who being in very nature God, there it is again, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Being, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, there's that exponential difference. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross, at the hands of those he himself had created. Therefore God exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we know this. This is one of this, this, this scripture that I'm going to share with you. We, many of us who are in Sunday school, it's one of the first verses we ever learned. For God so loved the world 
that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. University of Chicago Divinity School, at least they used to do this, I don't know if they still do, each year has what is called Baptist Day. On this day, each one is to bring a lunch to an outdoor picnic area, and the school invites one of the popular lecturers to speak at the Theological Education Center. One year, Dr. Paul Tillich came and spent two and a half hours attempting to prove that the resurrection of Jesus was a lie. He quoted liberal books and scholars to prove his point and then asked for questions. An older man near the back of the auditorium spoke. Dr. Tillich, he took out an apple apple and began to eat. Crunch, crunch. I have a simple question, munch, munch. I've read any, I haven't read any of those books you talk about, crunch, crunch. I can't recite the scriptures in Greek, munch, munch. I don't know anything about Niebuhr and Heidegger, crunch, crunch. He held up the, then held up the core of the apple he'd eaten. All I want to know is this. This apple I just ate, was it bitter or sweet? Dr. Tillich paused and then responded, I cannot possibly answer that question. I haven't tasted your apple, sir. The old man dropped the apple into his sack and said, Neither have you tasted my Jesus. The audience, over 1,000, erupted into applause and cheers to which Dr. Tillich left the platform. Jesus is the way, the only way. Oh God, help us to share that with a world that may maybe believe the lies that have been perpetrated among us out there. Folks, we're the ones that carry the message. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. Father, thank you for the truth of Scripture and the truth of your Son Jesus. He is the truth. He is the way. The way, the only way. He is the life. And if we're going to have life eternal, it is only when we understand and accept Jesus as the truth and the way. And we are bearers of that message. I know, we understand it's not always popular. It seems close-minded to people. We're just... You know, these folks who we just refuse to accept the fact that there might be other truths out there. And yet, Father, you have called us to be people of the truth, your truth, the only truth, the truth of Jesus Christ, who is the only way. And help us to be winsome enough and loving enough and caring enough and compassionate enough Help us to be willing to connect with people who believe differently than we do. Who may believe that there are many roads to God. May may we develop enough of a relationship so that when we have an opportunity to share that Jesus is the one and only way, we at the very least will have a listening ear. And Father, as you work and we're obedient, we pray that 
as we have a listening ear, your spirit would do a work in hearts and convince them of the truth of Jesus as the only way. And may we always walk in that way. And Father, I ask these things in the name of Jesus because of his power and authority. Amen.